Okay, well, uh, thank you for um, putting up with that little rap earlier. That is certainly, I'm not, certainly not going to Britain's got talent with that. But um, if there are any of you that do have rapping skills, then the material is not yet copyrighted. So, you know, feel free to get in touch. But happy Easter to you and a big warm welcome. If you're here for the first time, if you're visiting, might to meet a few people that are up visiting family from down south. A massive big warm welcome to you. This is the highlight, one of the highlights of the Christian calendar today is a great, great occasion to remember um, Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and the uh, Pentecost of the pouring up of the Spirit, specifically today, Easter Sunday. Now, some of you may have noticed a BBC News article on the 9th of April, which was titled, Resurrection Did Not Happen, Say a Quarter of Christians. That's quite an amazing fact. And this comrades, they surveyed over 2,000 British adults by telephone in February of this year. Exactly half of all people surveyed did not believe in the resurrection at all. Now, actually, that's how they're reporting it, but half, that means half believed in the resurrection, which was the incredible thing that I thought. Um, half of all people did not believe in the resurrection. Almost one in 10 people of no religion say that they do believe the Easter story, but it has some content that should not be taken literally. A report in The Guardian dated the 14th of April 2017, some of you have seen that come up in your Facebook feeds, is titled, What is the historical evidence that Jesus Christ lived and died? It goes on to give some brief evidence for uh, the existence of Jesus and his death. And it ends with this comment. This is the last sentence of the report. It says, the abundant historical references leave us with little reasonable doubt that Jesus lived and died. The more interesting question, which goes beyond history and objective fact, is whether Jesus died and lived. I thought that was a rather disappointing final um, comment because it implies that Jesus' resurrection is beyond history and objective fa fact. But is it really? Should we really believe in the actual bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead or not? Is the resurrection just some made-up story or myth to comfort some disappointed followers of Jesus who were hoping that he would actually be the promised Messiah rescuing Israel? Is belief in the resurrection just down to faith, blind faith? Is it beyond history and objective fact? Or is there any good solid historical evidence to base our belief in the resurrection on? Do we have to throw out our brains to believe in the re resurrection and make it just an issue of the heart? And do not get me wrong, do not misunderstand me because no one comes to believe in Jesus Christ and to save in faith through the learning of historical facts. It comes by the gift of the Holy Spirit and revelation um, and the regeneration work of the Holy Spirit. But Acts 17.31 17.31 says, For he has set a day for judging the world with justice, by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. You see, the resurrection which we are celebrating today is God's proof to the world that, that Jesus' radical, personal claim to be the revelation of God to mankind, Jesus' radical claim to actually be God in the flesh, actually is true. The resurrection is God's proof 
But how can we know that Jesus has risen from the dead? Is there any objective evidence in support of our belief in the resurrection of Jesus? Because if not, our claims have no more weight or strength than any person who claims to have a private or a personal religious experience. But fortunately, and those that are on Alpha course will uh, have learned this, Christianity is a religion grounded in history and can be investigated historically. If we were to approach the New Testament, for example, as a collection of ancient Greek documents coming down to us out of the first century, without any assumption as to their reliability, other than the normal way we would approach other sources of ancient history, you might be surprised to learn that the majority of historians that approach the New Testament documents in this way have come to accept the fundamental facts pointing to the resurrection of Jesus. It's quite incredible. This is not just conservative or evangelical scholars, but the broad spectrum of New Testament critics, Christian and non-Christian, who teach at secular universities. Incredible as it may seem, most of them have come to regard as historical the basic facts which support the resurrection of Jesus. And these are four main facts. Number one, after his crucifixion, Jesus was buried in a tomb by a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin named Joseph of Arimathea. That means that the location of Jesus' tomb was known in Jerusalem. And New Testament scholars have established the historicity. That means the historical authenticity or the historical actuality as opposed to historical myth. So they've managed to um, establish the historicity of this fact on the basis of a number of pieces of evidence. And I'm just going to skim over them very quickly, pull out one or two little ones. One uh, such example is Jesus' burial is attested to multiply in early independent sources. This is one of the most important criteria that historians use for establishing historical facts. In an, if an event or a saying is attested to in multiple sources which are independent of each other and at least one of them is early, then it's much more probable to be historical rather than made up. What's amazing about our faith is the burial of Jesus is multiply and independently attested to in such early sources. Independent sources include the writings of Paul, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And the majority of New Testament scholars agree that Jesus of Nazareth was, in fact, buried in a tomb by Joseph of Arimathea. So when our friends and uh, colleagues tell us it's just a made-up story, they're not really in the know, and perhaps we can help um, point them in the right direction. Fact number two, on Sunday morning following the crucifixion, Jesus' tomb was found empty by a group of his female women followers. The historicity of the burial account supports the empty tomb. You think, how on earth can the historicity of the burial account actually show that the tomb was empty? Well, very simply, if the burial site of Jesus was known in Jerusalem, if we think about this, it would be impossible for a movement founded on the belief in the resurrection of the dead man to arise and flourish in the place where there was a tomb containing his corpse. 
When the disciples started to preach the resurrection in Jerusalem, the tomb had to be empty. Or the rumor could have easily been dispelled by producing the corpse of the dead Jesus to put that nonsense to rest. It would have been easy to dispel the rumor and quell the revolution. But why did the Romans not do that? Because there was no dead body in the tomb. The earliest Jewish allegation that the disciples had stolen Jesus' body shows that the body was in fact missing from the tomb. The earliest Jewish response to the belief in the resurrection of Jesus was itself an attempt to explain why the body was missing. So we have evidence for the empty tomb from the opponents of the early Christian movement itself. The opponents of Christianity would have loved to have found the body and produced it and said, see, your Messiah has not risen from the dead. Here he is. Here's his body. And put it up for all to see. But they didn't. And we have to ask ourselves, why did they not do that? Now, an Austrian specialist in the resurrection, Jakob Kremer, said, by far, most exegetes hold firmly to the reliability of the biblical statements concerning the empty tomb. The second fact, there was an empty tomb on Resurrection Sunday. Fact three, on multiple occasions and in various circumstances, different individuals and groups of people experienced appearances of Jesus alive after his death. This is a fact which is universally accepted amongst New Testament scholars today. We have good evidence from the Gospels that neither James nor any of Jesus' younger brothers believed in him during his lifetime. For example, John 7 verse 5 says, for not even his brothers believed in him. But it's indisputable that James and his brothers did become active Christian believers following his resurrection. James became an apostle and he arose to the position of the sole leadership of the Jerusalem church. And according to the first century historian Josephus, jo James, Jesus' brother, he was martyred for his faith in the mid-AD 60s. Jesus' brother, who didn't believe in him when he was alive, was martyred for his faith that his brother was the Messiah in the AD 60s. He was stoned to death. Now, do any of you have a brother? Let me ask you, what would it take you, what would it take to convince you that your brother is the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the Lord, that he is God in the flesh, that he is the Messiah? What would it take to convince you that you would be willing to die for that claim, that you'd be willing to die for that belief? Can there be any doubt that this remarkable transformation in the life of Jesus' brother James and his younger brother, Jesus' younger brother, took place because what actually Paul claimed in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, then he, Jesus Christ, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, appeared to James. That that is actually what took place. Gert L. Demann, the leading German critic of the resurrection, himself admits it may be taken as historically certain that Peter and the disciples had experiences after Jesus' death in which Jesus appeared to them as the risen Christ. We hear all the time, it's just myth, it's just stories, but we have, as Christians, got good historical um, uh, reasons for believing in the resurrection. 
fact four, the original disciples believed that Jesus was risen from the dead and were willing to go to their deaths for the fact of Jesus' resurrection. Now, the Watergate, for those that are young, was a major political scandal that occurred in the U.S. in the 1970s. Listen to what Charles Colson says. I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. N.T. Wright says, that is why, as a historian, I cannot explain the rise of early Christianity unless Jesus actually rose again, leaving an empty tomb. How else can we explain the spread of Christianity across the world, starting from the launching pad of the place where we know his body was actually buried? This is widely accepted four facts, but the next question then becomes, what's the best explanation of these four facts? This is where the disagreement arises, but the Christian can explain with confidence that the hypothesis or the reason which best explains these four facts is that the one that the original disciples gave, that God raised Jesus from the dead. Of course, there's alternative explanations, but we have to ask ourselves, what's the most reasonable, the most plausible, the most likely reason to explain these widely accepted four facts? We've heard the conspiracy hypothesis, the apparent death hypothesis, the hallucination hypothesis. But most of these are universally accepted, uh, um, sorry, have universally been rejected by contemporary scholarship. Most don't believe in any of those um, hypotheses anymore. Here's a clip, three minute clip, which you'll think you'll find quite amusing by a guy called William Lane Craig, he's research professor of, of philosophy, what a mouthful, at Talbot School of Theology, and he's professor of philosophy at Houston Baptist University. A three minute clip, watch what he says, and then we're moving on. Now, this puts the skeptical critic in a rather awkward situation. For example, I had a debate a few years ago with a professor at the University of California, Irvine, on the resurrection of Jesus. Now, this man had written his doctoral dissertation on the evidence for the resurrection, and he was thoroughly familiar with the facts. He could not deny the facts of Jesus' burial in the tomb, the discovery of his empty tomb, his post-mortem appearances, or the origin of the disciples' belief in his resurrection. And so, his only recourse was to come up with some alternative explanation of those four facts. And so, he argued that Jesus of Nazareth must have had an unknown identical twin brother who was separated from him just after birth grew up independently somewhere, came back to Jerusalem just at the time of the crucifixion, 
stole his brother's body out of the tomb and presented himself to the disciples who mistakenly thought it was Jesus risen from the dead. Now, I'm not gonna go into how I went about refuting this hypothesis, but I think that the example is instructive because it shows to what desperate lengths skepticism must go in order to explain away the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, did you know that one of the world's leading Jewish theologians, Jewish theologians, the late Pincus Lapid, who taught at Hebrew University in Israel, declared himself convinced on the basis of the evidence that the God of Israel raised Jesus of Nazareth from the dead. Now, if this is right, then it has profound implications. The significance of the resurrection of Jesus lies in the fact that it's not just any old Joe Blow that has been raised from the dead, but it is Jesus of Nazareth whose crucifixion was instigated by the Jewish leadership because of his blasphemous claims to divine authority. If this man has been raised from the dead, then God whom he allegedly blasphemed has clearly vindicated those claims. The resurrection of Jesus is God's divine imprimatur on the claims of Jesus, that he was who he claimed to be. And thus, in an age of religious relativism and pluralism, the resurrection of Jesus stands as a solid rock on which Christians can take their stand for God's decisive self-revelation in Jesus. The rational man can now be hardly blamed if he believes that on that first Easter morning, a divine miracle occurred. Brian, pray us out. Put the power pack, uh, power pack. <laughs> yeah, power pack would be nice. Uh, PowerPoint back up. So Easter remembers the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus was well and truly dead, but now he is alive again. And as he, as he said, there's incredible implications. The implications are new creation has begun. And God had a plan to remake his whole creation, to make it new, and he started with Jesus Christ as the first fruits. Jesus was made new, he's alive again, and his very first Easter was the beginning of God's plan to remake and to renew his whole creation and make all things new. The Easter story starts with Jesus' followers being disillusioned, confused, disappointed, miserable, and full of sadness. Luke 24, 17, they stopped short, sadness written across their faces. But on Easter Sunday, these people were taken by surprise in the midst of their sorrow and misery when Jesus appears. A few verses later in 24, 41, it says, still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. See, that's what we find again and again and again in the Easter story. When Jesus shows up, or as I said earlier, when Jesus rocks up, sadness turns to joy and wonder. 
And John chapter 20, verses 19 and 20 says, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Because when Jesus shows up, fear turns to joy and wonder. So the Easter story begins with people who are taken by surprise in the middle of their own sorrow, their misery, and pain. And again and again in the Easter stories, we find that people come to find Jesus through the tears, the pain, and the sorrow. Mary Madeline, she's at the tomb. She's completely distraught. She's weeping. She's first met by the angels, and then Jesus himself appears and reveals himself. And when Jesus shows up, she's completely transformed. So we have the Easter message that when Jesus rocks up, when you're falling apart, he's giving you a fresh new start. Jesus rocks up when you're feeling the rage offering a brand new page. Jesus rocks up when you're weak in temptation, making you a crisp creation. Jesus rocks up when you've lost your vision, birthing in you newborn mission. Jesus rocks up when you've lost hope in your nation, giving you vision of transformation. Jesus rocks up when you're dead in a tomb. Resurrection, baby, your heart goes boom. Jesus rocks up when you're lost in a fanco, removing every shackle from your feet. So get off your seat and give him loud praise. For he's knocking at the door, just let him in to heal every sore and wash away your sin. He's knocking at your door, hear his still small voice. He will renew your core, clear your every invoice. He's knocking at your door, don't you run away. He'll lighten every chore, become your own DJ. He's knocking at your door, open up and welcome him. You'll rip up the dance floor, be flooded to the brim. So get off your seat and on your feet. Give him loud praise because there's been a great defeat. Resurrection, baby, come out that tomb. Resurrection, baby, your heart goes boom. Come on, let's give Jesus Christ some loud praise. Jesus, we praise you as a risen Lord. And when the shackles come off, you just got to dance. Let's show that wee clip, please. This was that Stephen and I went to the Hope uh, Conference a few weeks back. Just a thought was just about to leave the room. Ben Cooley spotted and pulled us down for a dance-off. So I had to represent Scotland, and I hope I didn't let you down. Well, we've forgotten someone. My friend Eric, you want to come down from Scotland? Here we go. Hello. Can the Scottish know how to dance? You ready? Three, two, one. to say the competition wasn't too stiff well actually they were stiff that was a problem so 
The living God can come into the middle of situations of pain, confusion, disillusionment, distress, and sorrow and transform them completely here and now. The Easter message is that fresh starts are possible. And that's what you're being offered today. Easter reminds us that we can turn a fresh page, whether you're not yet a Christian or whether you are a Christian, a fresh, new, clean, crisp page is offered to you today when Jesus rocks up. Because not only a fresh page and a fresh start for individuals and you personally, but for your relationships, for your families, for your communities, for your cities and your nations. Isaiah 61, 4 prophesied about Jesus and his followers says, they will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them because new starts is not only for individuals and families, but it's for communities, our cities, and our nations to believe that Jesus is all about transformation and renewal, and it has begun in Jesus Christ. So if you're in confusion, disillusionment, pain, suffering, and sorrow, a fresh start is on offer. Transformation is possible. New creation is possible if you open the door and allow Jesus to come into your life. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, he wants to offer resurrection and a new start to every person who is willing to pay 1,000 pounds. No, to every person who is willing to live a, a holy, moral life for the rest of No, to those who believe, to those who have faith, who by faith receive a new free gift will become part of his new creation. They will become a new creation and receive the vacation, the task of renewing creation. And as part of that new creation, we become and join God's master plan to renew the whole of creation. And as we choose to turn around and go in the opposite direction of our worship, choosing to worship, to turn away from worship of self, and created things to the worship of the Creator, we will be transformed into new creations. We will join the Creator in a renewed vocation. We will be united and joined back to our original purpose, calling, and vocation, which is to be agents of renewal, to be lights in the darkness, to be salt of the earth, to renew the creation on which we are part of by faith. It's called image bearing. It's reflecting God's love, his care, and his stewardship of the world. We're called to look after creation. We're called to bring God's healing, restorative justice to the world. Or in the words, words of John Ortberg, we are with humility to add goodness and beauty to families and societies. We are with humility to add goodness and beauty to families and societies and creation so that God's whole project becomes glorious delight to all who see it. That's when we find our true purpose. That's when we find our deepest sense of fulfillment and satisfaction when we get back to our original purpose for which you were created for. Here's what that can look like in reality. Just next video, please, Robert.
I still remember the flashing lights. The loud music, the beatings shook my body. A Cambodian proverb says, Men are like gold, women are like clothes. If you drop gold in the mud, it will come clean. But a cloth stays dirty forever. in those hidden rooms. No longer a name, simply an exchange. A hopelessly sort clothes, flesh for sale. But then the rescuers came. They found me and bought me out. I have been given much more than just freedom. I was given time and space to come alive again, nurtured by love, encouraged to dream. offered tools to create. I learned how to make beautiful things. Now I make beautiful meals and beautiful moments. that echo with laughter and resound with hope. Being renewed is a glorious thing. I am made whole again, a new creation. I am so much more than cloth. I am a jewel, now free to shine.
That's one of our partner charities that we partner with and uh, we give monthly contribution. Your money goes towards that and we are uh, very passionate about it because we are called to, uh, to bring God's healing restorative justice to the world and that is one way in which we can do that. We could have the band back up. We're going to have our final song. But uh, being renewed is a glorious thing, said Sarai. I am made whole again, a new creation. I am so much more than cloth. I am a jewel now free to shine. And that's what I want to say to you today. You are so much more than cloth. You are a jewel. And Jesus Christ died so that you can shine, so that you can have a fresh page, so that you can sparkle again. That's what Easter's about. This can become your story. Easter reminds us that new starts are possible, that transformation is possible. And it begins when we choose to change our worship from self and created things to the creator because if we worship self and created things, those things destroy us because they never fulfill us. But when we worship God, he transforms us and makes us transformers to transform and to be the thermostats, changing the temperature in the atmosphere. And I just want to show you one last uh, video, which is, I think it's 60 seconds long, 120 seconds. Here's one more example, because when we were down at that conference, a homeless young man walked past me, and we, we got a chance to chat in the car, and we got a chance to pray with them, and I just asked them to share a few words with you. Here's, here's a few words, because it shows our, uh, the, the resurrection. When Jesus, his post-mortem appearances weren't just to prove that he was alive, or he would have went to the Roman authorities or the governors, he had a more important mission than that. It was to commission his followers with the task of world evangelization and transformation. And that's our mission. That's our purpose. The, the world evangelization was the pur main purpose of his resurrection appearances. Show that last video and then we're going to finish. This is uh, Gary Stanley. We just met him tonight. We've just uh, met a new friend. And uh, it's okay if I just share a few things. Gary's yeah. going through a tough time brother died of an overdose three and a half months um, so he moved up here from, uh, from Essex um, living rough because he can't find anywhere to live or sleep so he's sleeping outside at the moment yeah and uh, I just bumped into him in the car park we've had a good chat good discussion told him a little bit about Caleb and kind of shared a wee bit about God and faith and what it means to invite God into your life and we yeah. got a chance to pray for you, didn't we? Yeah. How did that feel for you when we prayed and how you, you sense, sense anything? Or? Yeah, I felt, I felt overwhelmed. That's the right word to use. I felt it was, uh, I felt, felt like there was a little bit of hope for the first time in a while. Right. Things are going to turn out right. Does that make sense? It felt nice. It felt nice to have someone care about me. We've been talking with Gary tonight about dreaming and believing again. Things are going to change for you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Gary knows he's going to start praying. Things are going to change. I'm getting him to imagine and believe of himself as the self that he was created to be and wants to be. A nice house. Nice missies, good job. Children, a good job. He's worked with a printing company, and 
even one better is one printing company. Yeah. And I want the first free batch of flyers for my new church. <laughs> yep, yeah. 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 So there we go. And then you can come up and help it. But um, yeah, we're going to be praying for this guy. He's a good, good guy. Um, I, I think that God wanted us to meet you tonight to encourage you, to give you hope, to give you, um, and we, you know, we're going to continue to pray for you. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. Let's stand to our feet. We're given a new page, we're given a fresh start, and we're given the message of a fresh start and fresh pages that we spread as we go to offer that new life. And he said he felt overwhelmed. He said he had hope, and it was nice if somebody cared. And there's, there's part of the Resurrection Commission, the Resurrection Commission of world evangelization to spread everywhere the fragrant aroma of Jesus Christ, of the message of new, new pages, fresh starts. Today, I'm going to offer you that. Let's close our eyes. If you want a fresh start, today, put your faith in Jesus Christ. He died on that cross. He took the punishment that we deserve to pay for our false worship, our worship of wrong things, for going in the wrong direction, ultimately for sinning, which is going our own way. But today, with arms wide open, he says, welcome home, my child, come. Believe in me, trust in me, give your life to me, and I will come in and make you a new creation. I'll wash away your past and wash away your pain. I'll heal every wound and give you new hope and new life. And together, slowly as we work together, I'll make you a brand new creation. And you'll join me in my mission of being an agent of new creation to the world, to spread beauty and joy and hope wherever you go. And then you shall find your fulfillment. Then you shall find your purpose. So today, people, if you need a fresh start, for the very first time to become a Christian, or as a Christian, open up your arms, open up your heart and just say, Lord, I'll say this prayer and you just repeat it in your heart or you say quietly, Lord Jesus, you are the Son of God who shed your blood for me. I need you in my life and I ask you to come and forgive me for all my sin and wrongdoing and false worship today. I choose to turn away from worshiping created things in self and I choose to worship you, to, to love you, to put you first, to love you with all my heart, my mind, my soul and strength the best I know how. I don't understand everything God but I know that I need you, I know that I want you, I know that I need a fresh page and a fresh start and today I ask you to come into my life and make me brand new and give me a fresh page and give me your spirit and make me a new creation wash away my sin and fill me with new life and make me a child and a daughter or a son in your family I, I, I receive that new life today I receive that fresh start today in Jesus name if you said that today for the first time just while every eye is closed, I'm not going to pull you down the front or anything like that. Just put your hand up nice and high. If anybody said that prayer and invited Jesus in, put your hand up nice and high. Thank you. Thank you very much. Anybody else? Anybody else? Just put your hand up nice and high. Lord Jesus, just bring healing. Thank you for this new life today. Thank you for this transformation today, Lord Jesus. Bring your healing. Bring new life. Bring resurrection life. We celebrate today your great love in Jesus name you put your hand up you speak to a friend come and join us join our family with me here Sundays come and speak to myself speak to the person that came with you we'll give you some some uh, 
stuff to get you started on the right path. Let's, let's worship, George. Thank you.